You'll take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. We've only got three messages left in our study of the book of Romans. And we're up to the last chapter. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 this morning, along with a few other verses. It's great to see you here this morning. And let's look into God's Word together. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencria, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Paul is now reaching the conclusion of his letter to the Romans. And as was his custom, as he concluded a letter, he would send a number of greetings to individuals in the church. He would also express some appreciation and words of commendation. At times, he would include a closing warning to the church. And that's exactly what he does right here in the book of Romans as well. And so this morning, we're going to look at a list of names that Paul mentions as he's greeting and and, uh, commending the people there in Rome. Some 26 individuals as well as several households are listed right here in Romans chapter 16. And we may wonder what's the significance of even taking the time to preach about these names that are listed here. Well, there's a, a couple of reasons why I want to do that. One is, we see that Paul, even though he had never been to the church in Rome, nevertheless knew a lot of people who lived in that city and went to that church. Evidently, quite a number of people had moved to Rome and had joined the church there that Paul had acquaintances with, that Paul worked with at one time. And one thing that really stands out is the fact that Paul knew a lot of people. Paul had a lot of friends. Paul was not some spiritual monk who withdrew himself even from other believers but he knew a lot of people. He was not only a soul winner, but he was also a friend maker. And he's a great example to us that we ought to have many friends in the Lord. We ought to cultivate relationships with other believers just as Paul did. Something else that stands out as we read chapter 16 is the wide diversity of people that are mentioned here in this chapter that's really reflective of the early church. For example, 
Uh, there were, of course, Jews in the church converted to Christ. There were Gentiles in the church, as some of the names clearly indicate. There were slaves in the church, for some had common slave names. There were also prominent people in the church, perhaps even some who were in the imperial household. There were men in the church, and yes, many women are included in the greetings that Paul gives here in chapter 16. And so uh, here we see an example of the diversity of the early church. It kind of reminds me of what Paul said in in, uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. He says there, there's uh, neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And even though there was diversity in the early church, there was a bond of unity in the early church. And you know, in our church today, there may be some diversity but yet there's a bond of unity as we love one another in Jesus Christ. We we have a common salvation. That's the way it ought to be in a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at chapter 16 together and examine some individuals that were there in the Roman church. And as we do so, we're going to see... uh, examples, illustrations of life in the early church. You know, Christianity is to be lived. It's not just to be believed. It's to be practiced. And here we see examples, illustrations of how the Christian faith was actually practiced in the lives of early believers. And so as we study these believers, we hope to be challenged by their example. Now, first of all, we're going to look at actually four individuals in particular this morning in the first six verses. And the first one we're going to consider is a lady known as Phoebe. You know, our church used to have a Phoebe at one time before she passed away and went to be with the Lord. But uh, here's Phoebe. And the word, the name itself means bright one or shining one. Have you known somebody that is radiant? You know, they just walk in the room and they just glow with the Lord. And Well, Phoebe indeed may have lived up to her name. And Paul here gives a commendation for Phoebe. He says in verse 1, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church in Sencria. Now, the fact that she was not a a Roman, but rather visiting from another city, indicates that she was going to Rome with some business. In fact, verse 2 makes it clear that it was really a business trip that she was on and uh, was going to visit the church there in Rome. And when Paul found out that she was going to Rome, I believe that he said to her, Phoebe, will you take this letter with you, this letter to the Romans? Will you take it with you and deliver this letter? Oh, what an important mission she had that she was going to carry in her tender hands the book of Romans, a book that has changed the world, that has changed Western society. And she went and delivered that letter to Romans probably to this church. 
But as she arrived, she was not known by the people there. And so Paul says, I commend her to you. The word commend there literally means to stand by someone's side. You know, if uh, you have someone with you that isn't known by a group of people, it's really a good thing for you to stand by their side and introduce them to others and say some good things about them. Well, that's what Paul was doing right here as he began these greetings in Romans chapter 16. And what is it about Phoebe that was so commendable? Well, we see three things that I want to bring out to you uh, this morning. And these characteristics of Phoebe ought to be true of us. And I want you to compare your life with Phoebe for a moment. First of all, she was called our sister. Now those of us that are men, well, that doesn't fit. But, but the point is, she was regarded as a sister in Christ. The fact that she was our sister, even the people in Rome, this our sister indicates a spiritual kinship that Paul recognized and that we are to recognize. You know, as we're born again into the family of God, we have the same Heavenly Father, we become part of a family of God. We become part of a church family. And we need to recognize this. And you know, this isn't the only place where this spiritual kinship is recognized. If you look uh, on down to verse uh, 13, Paul says there, Greet Rufus, which means red, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, I don't believe that Paul... Uh, was the son of Rufus's mother. I think, once again, he's using spiritual kinship. That she's like a mother to me. A mother in the Lord. You know, my mother and my sister passed away some time ago, and, and yet I still have many sisters in Christ. I still have many mothers in Christ. And you know, when you belong to the family of God, even when you're separated from your physical family, you always have your church family. And that's the way it ought to be. And, and, and Paul says, Phoebe is a sister in the Lord. And you are to receive her as a member of the family. And you know, when you're a part of a spiritual family, we ought to treat each other like family. And so I'm not surprised that in verse 16, after giving all these greetings, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. It was very common in Eastern society to greet with a kiss. You remember uh, recently President Obama went to uh, G8 or whatever conference that, that was, and uh, he and Mrs. Obama greeted the French president and his wife. Well, you know, in France, they kiss. They're all over the place. And so, you know, they greeted each other with a kiss. They uh, went along with the culture there. And you go into Italy and further east. That's just the way they are. They greet with a kiss just as much as we greet with handshakes uh, today. And Roman society was in the Eastern culture. And so the main point I want to make is this, that Paul is saying, you're a family, now act like it. Uh, warmly greet one another. 
treat each other as family. Well, Paul commended her because she was a sister in Christ, but secondly, because she was a servant of the church in Sincrea. She was a servant there. That word servant is diakonon in, in, in Greek. Uh, it's the same word that's used of a deacon. However, most of the time, the word translated deacon is used not of an office, but rather of simply someone who serves others. And it's not necessarily a case that, that she was part of a, a set-apart group of women that were um, charged with ministry, but rather Paul could simply be saying that she is really known as a servant in that church. She has a servant's heart. She goes around helping people. In fact, it says in the last of verse 2 that indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. Here we see a clue of the kind of help that Phoebe gave to others. Because this word refers to a patroness. If you've gone to uh, one of the performing arts programs, Sometimes you'll look in the program and you will see the word patron or patroness. They are people who help sponsor the uh, event or the cause or what have you. And the word used here refers to a leading lady who uses her means to help others. And so she would help the poor. She would help missionaries. In fact, Paul says, she helped me. She was a helper to me. Uh, sometimes uh, when I was there in the area, she hosted me in her home. She gave me meals. She sent uh, missionary offerings. She was a woman who used her abilities and used her uh, resources to help others. And of course, Phoebe is a great example for us today that God has saved you, but not just saved you, but is calling you to, to serve Him in some ways. Some of you have uh, some means. You, you have some wealth, and you can use that wealth and means to, to support our missionaries, to, 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 to help those in need. Uh, others of you may not have a lot to give, but you've got time to give and you can serve the Lord. And I want to challenge you to be like Phoebe, serving the Lord, helping others. But a third reason why he commended Phoebe, I believe, is implied in the very place where she lived. Notice that she was a servant of the church in Sencrea. Where in the world is that, you might ask? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm going to tell you where it is. Uh, it's in Corinth. Corinth was one of the busiest seaports of the ancient world. And on either side of Corinth, there was a, uh, a seaport. And there was a land bridge through Corinth where lots and lots of goods would pass from one seaport to the next, and Sincrea was one of the two seaports. 
Now I want to ask you a question. When you think of the great seaports, even here in America, like New Orleans and San Francisco, do they remind you of bastions of godliness? Actually, it's just the opposite. Usually they're very wicked cities, very immoral cities. Well, Corinth was a very immoral, wicked city. No doubt the two seaports at each end were very ungodly, immoral cities. And yet, in the midst of such ungodliness and such filth, grew a flower of moral beauty in the person of Phoebe. And she shows us that you can be a godly Christian in the midst of a wicked culture. I'm sorry to say that right here in America, our culture is becoming increasingly wicked, increasingly immoral. But that doesn't mean you can't live a godly, pure life for Jesus. It's harder, it's harder, but Phoebe shows us that it can be done through the grace and the power of God. And so, this was a fine Christian woman that Paul is commending to the church and he's commending to us that we might follow her example. But we not only see her commendation, but we also see our duty to such people. Notice the appeal that Paul gives in verse 2. That you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. I commend her to you that you may receive her in the Lord. She was a stranger to the church. Paul wanted them to receive her. Not to reject her, not to shun her, but to receive her as a fellow sister, as as, as a sister in Christ, a fellow member of the body of Christ. And of course, that is our responsibility as well. When we have guests that come among us, we are to receive them in the Lord. When we have new members join our church, We are to quickly uh, get to know them and we are to assimilate them into the life and fellowship of the church. We're not to make them feel like they're on the outside, but really a part of our fellowship. And in two weeks, we're going to have a guest evangelist and we are to receive him in the Lord. Uh, We are to welcome him. And so, uh, he, he says, receive her. And then secondly, assist her in whatever business she has need of you. Again, I believe being a patroness as she was, she was a woman of means, perhaps a widow who had taken over her husband's business. Perhaps she had gone to Rome uh, on business. Or perhaps she had gone to Rome uh, on some official government matter. We don't know. But Paul says, when she gets there, I want you to assist her. She's helped so many people. We ought to return to her the blessing that she has been to others by helping her, assisting her, showing her around the city, introducing her to the business people there or the government officials there. Paul said in chapter 12 that we are to be given to hospitality. Somebody in the church should say, Phoebe, 
Will you stay at my house while you're in Rome? Will you eat at my table while you're in Rome? Yes, we are to practice receiving one another, helping one another. That's what a family is about, isn't it? When you have a family member in need, the first people that should be there to help them in times of need is their family, right? Well, that's the way it ought to be in the church family as well. And so Phoebe, the shining one, the bright and shining one, truly, I believe, lived up to her name. And we find a great example for us to follow. But secondly, look at verse 3 and we read about one of the finest Christian couples in the New Testament period. We read about Priscilla and Aquila. I must confess, when I first was a student of the Bible, I had trouble getting these two straight. Because sometimes it's Aquila and Priscilla. Here it's Priscilla and Aquila. Half the time it's, it, well, she's first and he's first. And I got confused as to who was the man anyway, because Aquila sounds a little not quite so masculine. And uh, so, you know, who are these people anyway? But again, what's interesting is that here in Romans, and half the time of the six times they're mentioned in Scripture, she is mentioned before he. Now why is that? Usually it's customary for the male to be listed first. And uh, I, let me suggest to you three possible reasons why she's listed first half the time. One is that she may have been the stronger of the two spiritually. Uh, maybe a little more committed to the Lord. I don't think that was it, but that's possible. I, I believe perhaps more likely is that she was the more active of the two in working in the church. And uh, that has been true down through the years. Where many a time the wife has been more active in the ministry of the church than the husband has. And so oftentimes, uh, the people in the church may think of the wife first before the husband. On the other hand, it's possible. I know it's hard to believe, but it's just possible that she was more outspoken of the two. And uh, he was kind of quiet. And uh, everybody knew when Priscilla was around, but uh, didn't think so much of Aquila because he was so quiet. Well, it could have been that. But that's not really the main point of what we're studying here in verses 3 to 5 about Aquila and Priscilla. Let me tell you a little bit about their background. Uh, How did Paul get to know them? Well, we read about it in Acts chapter 18 where Paul, on his missionary journey, came to Corinth. And when he got to Corinth, he found this Jewish couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They had come from Rome. Claudius, the emperor, had expelled all Jews from Rome, and so they settled in Corinth. And they got together. They were both Jews. They were uh, all tent makers. And so they started working together. And as Paul and Aquila were in that tent-making shop. 
working those uh, leather hides, cutting them, sewing them together, perhaps uh, Priscilla also helping with the sewing. They were working together in that shop, and you can just imagine while they were working, they were talking. And you know Paul, he's going to talk about Jesus. He's going to talk about the Messiah. And he, I believe he led this couple to believe in Jesus as their Messiah. And that was the start of a great relationship. And they became wonderful believers for the Lord. Well, they moved to Ephesus, all of them. Moved to Ephesus and set up shop there. And then later we see they're back in Rome once again. Now there's a lesson for us to take just from the background of these two. One is, wherever they went, they took their faith with them. At first, they took their Jewish faith with them. Paul probably met them in the Jewish synagogue. Once they became Christians, wherever they moved, they always found a group of believers and served the Lord with that group of believers, even getting to the point of having their own house church. And so, wherever they moved, they took their faith with them. They got active in a local church. And I want to challenge uh, this audience and the television audience to follow their example. You know, there are some folks in this community that have been living here for several years and they still haven't joined a local church. They haven't followed the example of the New Testament. When you move, take your faith with you, find a local church, join it, and get involved. That's the way it ought to be for us as believers. But secondly, we see an example of God's providence at work. God's providence. You know, God's on His throne in the heavens. And He is working to accomplish His purpose through His providential work of circumstance. And you know, we see it right here in this story. Because Paul was in Asia Minor, planting churches, winning souls for Christ, and he was ready to move north, but he had a vision one night of someone in Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so he took that as a vision from the Lord and instead of going north, he went west and went to Macedonia and down to Corinth where he met Aquila and Priscilla. Why, how did they get there? Again, I told you, Claudius the emperor expelled the Jews from Rome. And so God brought Paul and Priscilla and Aquila together. He led them to Jesus Christ. And then later they went to Ephesus. And there in Ephesus, it so happened that an Alexandrian Jew named Apollos arrived, spoke in the synagogue, was very eloquent, knowing the Scriptures, and yet he didn't know Jesus. And so Aquila and Priscilla called him to their home and sat down and explained the way of the Lord more perfectly and led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And he became one of the great preachers of the first century. Here we see an example of how God works through circumstances to bring people to Jesus. 
I wonder who is here today because of some circumstance in your life. And God is working. And you need to see the hand of God working in your life. I wonder who, watching television, hearing this message by television, didn't plan on hearing this message today, but yet God in His providence so worked it where you're hearing this message today. Oh, listen, God works in His providence. We need to see His work in the circumstances of life as it was with Aquila and Priscilla. But we not only see their conversion and, 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 and the lessons about that, but we also see here their, their uh, sacrificial love for other believers. Look at verse 4. Who risk their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. There was some occasion where Aquila and Priscilla risked their neck for Paul. Literally, it's the image of putting your neck under the axe, which was used for execution. Now, we don't know what happened. Uh, there was a riot in Ephesus, and we know that there were some out to get Paul there in Ephesus. But the language here seems to describe a situation where perhaps the authorities were looking for Paul. They were going to arrest him, perhaps even execute him. And Aquila and Priscilla hid them or helped them escape. And in so doing, they were risking their own lives. And what they did, their heroic act was... Uh, told to other churches and, and they all appreciated their sacrificial love for Paul and for Jesus. And you know, I don't know if we're ever going to be in a situation where you're going to be placed where you could make a decision to risk your own life to save somebody else, but it may come to that. You know, right here in our country, our Constitution, in black and white, says that we are guaranteed the free exercise of religion. And yet, in spite of the explicit provision for religious liberty in the Constitution, we're seeing that eroded before our eyes. Uh, there's folks in the administration and Congress that are considering legislation where if you have religious reasons not to do anything with abortion, you may be required by the government to, to offer abortion services as a condition of offering services to the public. They're, they're actually considering that. We're in a situation today where if I'm invited to many government places, meetings, to give a prayer that I can't pray in Jesus' name, that I have to do some generic prayer. And folks, as our religious liberty is eroded, the day may come not long from now when there will actually be persecution of those of us who stand for the Word of God and for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
There's already a religion. This is uh, the 10th anniversary of Columbine where some students went and some of the targets of their guns were Christian students in the, in the high school. Just a few weeks ago, uh, someone walked into the church and we don't know if it was religiously motivated. I haven't heard yet, but, but actually shot the pastor uh, dead. Folks, we may be in a situation where uh, in a split moment you have to decide whether to risk your life for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Brian Lee has already appointed Robert Scriber to take the bullet if, uh, if somebody comes after me. Now, how come you're sitting way back there? You ought to be sitting right here. But be that as it may, where does such heroics come from? It comes from a love for the Lord and it comes from a faith that says, I have eternal life. And even if I lay down my life for Christ, I will live again. Oh, listen, this is the faith of those early saints. And this should be our faith as well. And furthermore, we see in verse 5 that, that they had a church in their house. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. The early church for 200 plus years did not have church buildings to meet in. They met in homes. And Aquila and Priscilla said, Our home is large enough. My workshop is large enough for 20, 30 people. We'll have a church in our home. And Aquila might even have been a pastor of one of those house churches. But one thing we can say for Priscilla is she said, I'll open my home to God's people. How many of you ladies are willing to open your home every week to a group, a gathering of God's people? You have to appreciate Priscilla when you even think about it for a moment. But, uh, you know... We ought to be doing more of that. And we do have some people that open their homes for ministry, whether it's around the table or for a prayer group or for a Bible study. And, and uh, this is a great example for us to follow. Well, I conclude this morning by looking at one other saint of God, and that's in verse 6. Great Mary, who labored much for us. Mary, a Jewish name, a Jewish woman, no doubt. And there's two things I want to say about her in closing. First of all, she labored much for us, Paul says. That word labored there is not just the word for work, but work to the point of exhaustion. A woman who worked hard, tirelessly for Jesus for her church, for her cause, the cause of Christ. And she is an example. It's not just her, but we read of others right here in this same list. We, we read in verse 9 of Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. We read in verse 12, Greek uh, Tryphena, 
and Trafosa, who have labored in the Lord, greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. The church was full of people who labored for the Lord. Are you laboring for the Lord? Are you involved in at least one ministry of the church? And are you dedicated uh, to that ministry uh, doing such a good job that it can well be described of you that you labor sometimes to the point of exhaustion. Well, I tell you what, Jesus Christ labored to the point of exhaustion carrying that cross for you and for me. He was so exhausted that He fell under the weight of that cross. It was crucified for you and for me, and we should be willing sometimes to work extra. Oh, I don't want to come to revival. That's every night, four nights in a row. That's too much. It's not too much. It's not too much. We ought to be willing to labor and work for the Lord. The one other lesson I see from this verse and the whole context is the value of women in the early church. Three of the first four people listed here are women. Paul greets many women, many workers, women, female workers in the early church. In a society that was way male-dominated, we see the early church lifting women to their God-ordained Place among the people of God. And it's so clear that these women in the early church were vital, valuable for the ministry of the church and they're valuable to our ministry today. And as Paul commended them, even so I commend you ladies who are so valuable for the ministry of this church. Again, there are those that would like to say that it was uh, it's the, the liberal women's liberation movement of the last century that finally lifted women up. Folks, women were lifted by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. And they are still a vital part of the ministry of the church today. I ask you this morning, as Paul listed the many saints of God that he knew in Rome, and if someone today were to list the saints of Swift Creek Baptist Church, would your name be on the list? Are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If not, I invite you this morning to trust Jesus and let Him make something wonderful of your life. We're going to give an invitation. I'll be happy to lead you in a prayer to trust Christ as your Savior. Some of you are ministry leaders. And just as Paul would send words of commendation and appreciation for fellow workers, those of us that are ministry leaders need to express appreciation and commendation for those who work for the Lord. And we ought to follow His example. Will you follow their example of being a worker for the Lord? A worker in this church. You may want to come and make that commitment this morning. And finally, 
just as Aquila and Priscilla always took their faith with them and joined a local community of believers wherever they lived, even so, there may be some that would come this morning saying, I'm ready to join this church. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this glimpse of the life of the early church. And I pray that You will help us to be challenged by their example and follow their example as You would have us to. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our hymn of invitation, 287.